0: God, you tell us that we are loved even when we don't feel a thing. God, you say that we are held even when we are feeling left alone and insecure. God, you are the one who has made great plans for us even in the moments when we don't feel like it and we make plans for ourselves. You know, we find ourselves as Christians, we live a life where we live in the gap between what God says is true and what we feel or what we think. But the goal of the Christian life is to bring those two together. And so eventually, We get to flip our agenda for his because he has a great plan for our lives. We call his plan discipleship here in the church. And that's what we get to talk about together this morning. You can go ahead and have a seat. We are in the second week of talking about discipleship And this morning, we're going to look at the plan of discipleship. Last week, Pastor Greg was with us and did a great job opening up and talking about the preparation for discipleship. And we looked at Mark chapter 1, and that's where we'll be again this morning. But he looked at the first 15 verses of Mark. And in it, we found that Jesus Christ is the beginning and the end of discipleship. Of our journey. We also looked at the fact that not only Christ, the Son, but the Father and the Holy Spirit were involved in paving the way, preparing the way for broken, sinful, messed up humans like you and like me to be able to be restored into relationship with our Creator. And then we left it last week with verse 15, which had Jesus starting his ministry on earth and saying that his goal was to proclaim the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom of God. And then we learn a little bit later in the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's where we left it last week, and this morning we are talking about the plan of discipleship, and we're going to break it up into four parts, the four parts of the plan of discipleship. And it should be easy to remember, but you can write it down. It's this, find, follow, form, flip. You can just say that, find, follow, form, flip. Find, follow, form, flip. You can say it 10 times and you'll walk out of here. You'll know. The plan of discipleship in four parts is find, follow, form, flip. And if you're really good, you'll be able to say it backwards, flip, form, follow, find. But don't do that. Don't do it because we have a certain order we're going in. Find, follow, form, flip. So let's jump in in the gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 16. Jesus begins his ministry and it says, As he was going along the Sea of Galilee, he saw... Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now, let's just pause there, because if, you were, if God would have asked me how to start a ministry, I would have said, look, you had, you had a good thing going in verse 15. Jesus proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God to the world. I would just stick with that and just like kind of fill stadiums, tell people about the kingdom of God and get everybody to repent and believe and then move to the next town and do that and rinse and repeat until the whole world hears. That would have been my opinion, but he didn't ask me. And that's not what he did. In fact, or instead, Jesus went. First thing he did was to go find people to help him. And I'm like, Jesus, people to help you is not a good plan. (laughs) I know people, and we're not altogether that reliable. But Jesus did go find people to help him in his mission to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the world. That was his plan. He found people to help, but not, not just any people, you know, and that's the other thing. He didn't ask me, but if he would have, I said, okay, you got to find people. I would start with like the clergy, maybe people who are really wise in the ways spiritually. Maybe I would start with the, uh, the Roman politicians, those who, you know, they know people. They, they sort of have some influence. Or maybe you could start with like a really, speaking of influence, like a YouTuber. You know, somebody that's got millions of followers and start with them. And, and He didn't do that. Jesus started with fishermen. Now you think about all the people to start with. I don't know how many of you all fish, but here's the thing about fishermen. Usually you go to fish to be left alone, don't you? And so the people who wanted to be left alone, he's going to start Impacting the world with them. Fishermen who were unqualified spiritually and unqualified strategically to start this mission. But here's why this is great news for you and for me. Because we are really unqualified as well. And so this scripture gives us a picture of what Jesus is all about. He's all about starting with people who are ordinary and unqualified and installing purpose and into their lives. In fact, God has done this throughout Scripture. You look at a couple examples. You go back to Genesis 12. He did it with Abraham. He shows up to Abraham says, Abraham, I'm going to start with you and I'm going to bless your descendants and they're going to be bigger than the stars in the sky. We're going to do great things together. And Abraham's like, I don't even know where to go. And he picks him up and he says, I'm going to show you where to go and plops him down and gives him purpose. And then he goes and finds Jacob. And he says, Jacob, I'm going to do great things through you, and start the 12 tribes of Israel, and he's like, you can't, I, I have, uh, I got some family issues going on, I have some sibling trust issues, and so I wouldn't pick me, and he's like, I'm going to pick you anyway, and he wrestles with him, and gives him purpose, and he goes and finds Moses, and he says, Moses, you're going to be a great leader, Moses says, I can't be a great leader, I have speech problems, and he said, I'm going to pick you up, and I'm going to give you Aaron, and plop you down, and give you purpose, and then he goes and finds Paul, And Paul, and he says, Paul, I am going to, I'm going to have you spread Christianity throughout the world to people who don't know it. And Paul's like, I kill Christians. And he's like, knocked them down. Not anymore. And puts them down over there. And this is a theme throughout scripture of God using unqualified people to do extraordinary things. And this is great news for you and for me because I've seen where he's done that in my life and maybe you've seen that where he's done that in your life too. And I want to invite you in. If you are in this room this morning or you're online and you have still have big questions about your faith journey and you're like, I don't, I don't think... Jesus has found me yet. Yeah, I'm still sort of wandering, and I'm here at church this morning because I want to know a little bit more about who Jesus is. Is he really what some of these people are talking? I want to invite you. We have a group of people who you would have a lot in common with. We're going to be meeting eight weeks on Tuesday nights. It's called Discover Jesus. And it's a way for you to show up, voice some of your doubts, ask some of your questions, offer some of your concerns in a safe environment to discover about the Jesus Christ of Scripture who is in the business of finding people who are unqualified and ordinary and giving them purpose. Maybe that's your first step this morning. So we find that our first step in discipleship, the discipleship plan, is Jesus finding ordinary and unqualified people and offering extraordinary purpose. And then we move on to verse 17. So Jesus continues and he says to them, he looks right at them and he says, follow me. It says, follow me. I want to pause there before we go on to the rest of the verse, because these words are powerful. And in fact, it's probably better translated in the Greek as come after me or get right into the space behind me and begin to walk as I walk, begin to do as I do. There was an old Jewish saying when people were called by their rabbi to follow them, they would be, there was this blessing that some of the others would give to them. And it says, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Meaning that you would be so close, following so close behind your rabbi, in this case, Jesus, that the dust from his sandals would be on you. I'll never forget a couple years ago, my family had a chance to go up to Colorado and we, uh, we flew out there and then we rented this uh, Tahoe, which was pretty cool. And had a sunroof and the whole deal. And so we decided we are going to go on a journey one or an adventure one day. And we go up the side of this mountain. And I like going up the side of the mountains with my family. Cause I can kinda, sort of pull off to the right a little bit and get them scared that they're, we're going to fall over the edge. I don't know why that's fun for me, but it is. And so they, they sort of start screaming and moving to the other side of the car. Like that's going to help. But, but we were going up this and Colorado Colorado's really dry, and so this was an off-roading experience, so it was really dusty. And we get behind this car who's kicking up dust. And, and my kids love sunroofs, and they love putting their heads out sunroofs. And so this one time Jack puts his head out of the sunroof. They're rolling the windows down, putting their head out the windows. And we're, get, we're behind these cars that are just kicking up all this dust. And so I'm putting on the windshield wipers and getting this stuff. And it's, it's it recirculate on the air so that it doesn't get into the car, roll up the windows. Only problem is I forgot about the sunroof and Jack being, having his face out of this. And so a little bit later, he pops his head back in, and it is covered with this white dust from the road. And that's the idea, that we would follow so closely behind Jesus that we couldn't help but be affected greatly by who he is. Jesus himself gives us uh, a picture into this in Matthew 11:29. He says he's telling his followers to take my yoke upon you and to learn from me. Oxen in those days, maybe still today, I don't know, but were yoked together, and there was an older, more experienced ox who would lead the way, and the younger would follow behind, but they would be yoked, connected together so that when the older ox would turn to the right, this is your right, turn to the right, the younger would learn to turn to the right. When he would turn to the left, turn to the left. When the older would stop, he would stop. That's the idea of being yoked, is that you would follow after and learn from your teacher. Sometimes our kids, and maybe you're in this boat, uh, sometimes our kids surprise us with expressions. Expressions Uh, are like, mannerisms that they have that you never taught to them, but they were sort of those things that were caught rather than taught, you know? And so, Andrew, my son, and I made donuts a couple of years ago, and he loves donuts. I love donuts. We decided we were going to make donuts, and it actually ended up pretty good. And so, at the end of this, we were pretty impressed by this, and so my wife, Kristen, comes over and says, i got to take your picture of you guys and the donuts. And we said, okay. So, we pose... And it looks a lot like this. <laughs> now, I never taught Andrew the donut pose. It was something that he must have just learned from me, the excited about donut look. <laughs> Same thing when we get into the space behind Jesus. We get to learn from him and begin to act like him. Maybe you are in here this morning and you feel like the plan of discipleship, the plan of spiritual growth is a list of things to do, like a checklist. Like if I do these 10 things and I'll be well on the way. But what we find in the scripture is that it's less about a checklist of things to do and more about a person to be with. And so the second part of our discipleship plan that we're looking at this morning is to follow, to get in the space behind Jesus, find and follow. Here's an application for you. Like the disciples back then, they obviously followed Jesus and they had Jesus physically to follow. And we don't have Jesus to physically follow anymore. But what we do have is the Holy Spirit we have prayer through the Holy Spirit. We have scripture where we get to take a closer look at who Jesus is in the Gospels. And um, our, the, the, our heartbeat as a church is to be able to prepare you and give you tools to be able to walk well with Jesus Christ. And so we've put together a little bit of little, some thought about a discipleship plan. And so the first thing is this. We have an app that I would love for you to download and begin to use. It's just called uh, Like Jesus app, and you can scan it and you can download it. We have over 100 people in the church that have downloaded it already, and it has some tools on there to learn to follow Jesus. And the first book in this series is called uh, Walk Like Jesus. It's not the first, but it's one of the first. Walk Like Jesus. And so a whole bunch of our life groups are going to be going through Walk Like Jesus. Our life group is gonna be meeting in uh, my house this afternoon, and we're gonna open it up and learn how to walk like Jesus by following him. There's a class that is actually doing this as well. It's meeting during this hour. So next week, if you wanna go, 1045, my friend Scott Bryant's teaching it, Walk Like Jesus. If you're a guy, we have an abide study we're going through. It's a way to be able to abide in Jesus. Women's ministry has tools. We have tools all over the place in this church where we can learn how to walk like Jesus and follow him. Uh, When we think about our discipleship strategy here at the church, um, we put together a a model of what it might look like. And the first is this, or the first two quadrants are this. In the upper left-hand part, it's people who don't know Jesus. We talked about that already, that Jesus will find people who don't know him and bring them into a relationship of knowing and trusting him and learning to follow him. And then we go to our next part in Mark 17, or Mark one seventeen. Right after he says to them, follow me, he continues and says, I will make you become fishers of people. I will make you become fishers of people. I like those words, I will make you become Because he's using the same root word here as what it is for give birth to or move something into existence. The idea is is that I'm not going to give you a list of things to do, but I, by following me, am going to begin to form and transform your heart into a heart that's like mine. I saw this bumper sticker the other day. I was pulling into the doctor's office and there was this little car and on the back of it. The bumper sticker said this, stop praying, start doing. Stop praying, start doing. And I thought about that for a little bit and it saddened me. Because I think the idea is, is that a, a connection with the living God this person seemed so disconnected from one's ability to do great stuff in this world. But what the scripture's teaching and what we know to be true is that it's actually the opposite. It is because of a connection with our God. It is because we follow Jesus that he forms us into the kind of person who can do great things in our world, And you might be asking, well, what kind of things do we get to do in our world? And this is the end of this verse. We get to become what? Fishers of people. People become our priority. We get to be for people. We get to love people. We get to serve people. After all, this is what Jesus was all about. There's a famous verse in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. It's not up on the screen, but it says, a new command. This is right after Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And he says, there's a new command that I'm giving to you. And it's this, love one another. As I have loved you, now you go and love one another. And then he says, when you do this, all people... All people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I love this moment because this is the moment in the discipleship plan where we begin, where Jesus begins to transform us from disciples, followers of his, into disciple makers into people who not only are following Jesus, but he's forming us into people who then go love others to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. And this is the third part in our discipleship plan. The first was he finds us the second we follow him, and the third is that he forms us our hearts into being about the things that he is about. Here's an application for you to think about how well you're loving others. Think about how you're doing now versus how you were doing a year ago, loving and serving people. How about two years ago? How about 10 years ago? Are you doing better at loving and serving others than you were before you began to follow Jesus? I gotta tell you, we are coming up uh, and on an election cycle, right? Which is a great opportunity for us to learn how to love people who we might disagree with. How do you love people you disagree with? Do you do that well? Do you have a hard time with that? You're going to get some good practice soon. People that think different politically than you do. People who think differently uh, doctrinally than you do. It doesn't mean you have to agree, but you do have to love within the disagreement. That's what Jesus called us to do as he forms our hearts into people who love people. And by the way, just as a way of encouragement, this discipleship process, this discipleship plan as we follow him, it is not easy. And there's gonna be big mistakes that we make along the way. We're gonna find that Peter makes one here in just a minute. We're gonna falter we're not going to do it perfectly, but that's okay because we get to do it alongside of our master, Jesus Christ, who does do it perfectly. We get to follow him. So find, follow, and form. And then I wanted to show you also go back to our discipleship model. The formation takes us from a place where we know and trust Christ and trust Christ to a place where we get to serve and love. You can use those words interchangeably in the gospel of Mark. Serve and love others like Jesus does. And then finally, we go to Mark 1, 18 through 20. We'll read this whole section. Immediately, it said they left, the disciples left their nets, and they followed him. And going on a little farther he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother who were also in the boat mending the nets verse 20 immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and went away to follow him So it's immediately after he called them to follow him they left what did they leave You notice they left their fishing nets, they left their father, their family, the hired men, the boats, all those things that represented their plans for their life. What they thought their life was going to look like. The things they thought they were going to be doing in their lives, their agenda. And as they left, they replaced their agenda with Jesus's agenda. And on the surface, this seems like a great trade, doesn't it? Like we would all vote for that. Like I would definitely take God's will over mine any day. But we all know that is easier said than done, isn't it? It can be really costly to live a life. Where we are submitting to God's will and His agenda over. Our own, and we see this happen in a couple chapters later. Actually, Mark chapter eight, verses thirty-one to thirty-four. It's this is a parallel passage to this passage here. And whereas this passage that we've been looking at, Mark chapter one, is the first calling of the disciples. What we see in the end of Mark chapter eight is Jesus's first prediction of the passion. The passion meaning his uh, uh, death, burial, and resurrection. He predicts this. And there's a lot of similarities going on here, but I want to show you one of them. Because right after Jesus tells them that I'm going to die, Peter comes back in uh, Mark eight thirty two and says that he rebukes Jesus. In other words, he tells Jesus, no, 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 that's not a good idea. I, Peter, have a better idea than your idea. Do you ever do that in your life? Where you're like, okay, that's, that's God's idea. I, I think mine is better. And we end up telling God, like, God, please bless the plans I have for myself and my family. Does this ever happen to you? But the thing is, Peter probably, he did it with a good heart. He had been following Jesus for, I mean, th- three years at this point. They were tight. He didn't want to see his friend die. That was what he wanted. And and for many of you in this room, you've been following Jesus for a long time in your life, and you feel like, I've been following him long enough. I sort of, I I think I know these things. But watch what happens. So Peter says, rebukes Jesus and says, no, 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 not, not your plan, my plan. And Jesus comes back and says to Peter, listen to this. In verse 33, it says, Get behind me, Satan. It's oh, like fighting words, aren't they? Get behind me, Satan. But it's actually not. Because the same word used here, when he says, Get behind me, was the word that was used in Mark chapter 1 when he met Peter for the first time and said, Follow me, get into the space right behind me and learn to live as I live. It's the same word used here. This is not a Peter. I thought I told you to wait in the truck. It was not that. (laughs) It's a Peter. Peter, I love you, man. You need to get back in the space behind me. You still have some things to learn from me. And then it... Goes on and he says, calls him Satan, but he actually wasn't really calling Peter Satan. That's not Jesus' character to do that. We know this. Instead, what he was doing was putting a label on the kind of rebuke that Peter was giving to him. You see, the, Satan's problem from the very start was that Satan wanted his, he thought that his plans were better than the plans of God, right? And so, so Jesus is essentially labeling them, saying, you're, you're lining up more with Satan's will here by saying you before me. And he describes that. He says, here's the thing. You don't have in mind the things of God, but you have in mind the things of man. And in just two verses later, it's a famous verse that says anyone who wants to gain their life will need to lose it. But anyone, by contrast, who will lose their life for me will surely gain it. So what Jesus is telling us in this fourth key part of the discipleship plan is that we need to flip our agendas. We need to flip our agendas so that God's is the one that is taking center stage in our lives. And get this, when we get to do that, when we get to flip our agenda over and allow God's to be the primary in our lives, we look at our discipleship model again, and the thing we get to do is to make Jesus known. We get to make Jesus known to others when we flip our agenda to his. We opened with the song. We opened with this message with a song that these are the things that you say, God. These are the things you desire for me, God, but I so often end up over here thinking these. And the discipleship process is bringing these closer and closer together to the point where you get to flip your agenda and allow God's reality to be your identity. And this is where we get to pick it back up next week. Pastor Greg's going to come back and talk about discovering the purpose of discipleship. But for this morning, we'll recap the teaching that we learned from Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 20, is that God has a great plan for your life. He finds you where you are, your ordinary selves, and gives you purpose. He invites you to follow Him. He forms your heart, and He flips your agenda to be about the things of God, not the things of man. Let's pray. God, thank you for the ways that you choose to work in our lives. Thank you that you care enough about people to care about each of us individually and love us so well. We, I pray for each person in here as we follow you and as you form our heart, that we would be able to make you known in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen.